Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Timothy Zahn, author of Star Wars Heir to the Empire, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 250. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm M. Ciro Garcia. And it is awesome to be back here, here at the diner, sitting down, chatting, and eating with all you fine folk again. Mm, some good stuff on the menu. There is some good stuff on the menu. And maybe a little bit of uh, controversial stuff, something that just kind of stirred the you-know-what. Well, you know... Simon Pegg, he likes to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also, we, we have a ton of stuff we're bringing in tonight. We're going to share a little bit about what's going on in our sci-fi world. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, a new fan project that is actually really cool. I'm going to let M share about that in just a moment. Uh, we're going to talk about the whole thing geek acquisition because if you know anything about, you know, Dynamite Ultimate Geeks, they're all Think Geek fans. And so what does this mean for you? Well, we're going to maybe speculate and uh, we believe there's a lot of goodness in it. We're going to talk about how Simon Pegg is kind of stirring the pot out there a little bit. And then we're going to share with you our Timothy Zahn interview. And then we go Sci-Fi 5 and 5, which I believe, Miles, you came up with. I did. Awesome. Yeah. So anyways, so, man, Memorial Day, and you got back from Disney. I love the picture, yeah. you, I love the picture you tweeted from Disney or the Sci-Fi Diner, by the way. Oh, I know. I just, I totally, the the friends I was with, Dan and Anne Carey, um, they're Joko Cruiser fans and nerd fans from, they're my geek family. Um, they are part of the Disney Vacation Package group. And they were, they she posted on Facebook, I'm going to Disney, woohoo! And I just very sheepishly said, um, I just got, they had the worst, like, breakup ever. Can I go too? And she said, Yeah! So I went and played at Disney, which I haven't done at Disney World in ugh, probably easily 13, 14 years. And it was and I was reminded of how crazy, perfectly magical that place is. It was a blast. And then Dan told me about it. He's like, we got to go to Disney Hollywood because there's a sci fi diner there. No, there isn't. And he <laughs> took, it's right there. It was very cool. We didn't get a chance to eat there. But when we go back in February, that's totally going on the to-do list. <laughs> it's fun. I've done it before. Yeah. You know, I actually, when we started the Sci-Fi Diner, that place was in existence, but I did not know about that because hmm. that was my, I guess, ignorance with uh, uh, the, the restaurants in Disney. So, but uh, so there is a Sci-Fi Diner. If you go to eat there, you'll have to let us know what you think. So hopefully, the food's uh, good. So we don't want them like. We don't want them, like, making our name look bad because they're serving bad food after all. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they need to serve up the best in sci-fi multimedia. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, so other than other than Disney, M, what else is going on in your sci-fi world? Uh, rumor has it that you've been living, eating, and drinking Mad Max. Oh, my God. I saw it twice in 24 hours. Um, it was... Go ahead. It was Amazing, amazing, amazing. We may have to do a show on this, but I should it, watch it first. Me too. <laughs> yes, well, yeah. 
So for fans of the original, the very, very first Mad Max, there are there is so much visually that and in the style of uh, it's just there's so much there that harkens back to um, to the original movie. And and oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. Um, the original director. Ah, uh, um, 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 oh, crap. That's professional. <laughs> uh, come on, IMDb, be my friend. George Miller. Ugh. So George Miller originally directed the first movie. And if you loved that one as much as I did, um, you are going to love this. This is just an amazingly well-paced story. It's visually stunning. Absolutely stunning. Um, and I'm not a big fan of Charlize Theron. This is epically my favorite movie of hers she i i forgot it was her she she i i was lost in the story and I, I loved it it was great it's awesome when you can kind of lose yourself into a story and forget about you know who the actors are what they've done and just kind of get engaged and it sounds like this movie really drew you into that world it was great i didn't check my clock i barely ate my popcorn i barely drank my beer because I only go to theaters that serve beer now. Um, which is <laughs> it awesome. makes it easier if the movie's bad, right? <laughs> that, yes, fine. Whatever. There's a really great cast. It's just amazing. And then a gentleman by the name, name of uh, Hughes Keys Burns was in the original. He is in this movie as well. Well, that's kind of cool. It was fantastic. Now, do you know how many years it's been since the original Mad Max film? Um, 1979, I think, was the original Mad Max film. So... About 25 years, 26 years, right? Yeah, 1979 was 30, the original Mad Max was. No, 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 30-some 30, 30 years. 30-something. Wow. Yeah, and then in 81, Mad Max Road Warrior came out, and then, uh, which was also good, but kind of creepy, and then Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome and Need for Cash. I didn't really care for that movie. Um, it was just way too commercial, but it was good. It was really good. But this original Mad Max from 1979 and now Fury Road are just, they are perfect on their own, the two of them together. You can even take Road Warrior. Well, you keep Road Warrior, but um, you can get rid of uh, of Mad Max Thunderdome. Now, is this a, uh, a new story in the Mad Max universe or is this kind of a retelling of the original Mad Max? So I'll tell you the truth. I don't know much about the universe, but I know that this is different than what was originally in the. Um, this is it's different from the first movie. So I'm I'm guessing reboot is the wrong word. I think it's more of a reimagination, okay. considering that it's a lot of the original people um, involved in this in this next step in this next uh, evolution of Mad Max. Oh, cool. Well, maybe I will have to see it based on your recommendation. It's a little disturbing, so prepare yourself for that. But just open your mind and prepare for je for something amazing. Yeah, the uh, the original one, if I remember, the original one was also kind of disturbing. Well, that's cool. And, and I hear rumors, too, about you because um, all I do is like stalk you and try to find out what's going on in your life. Uh, and find out all the rumors there are about you, that you are heading to a convention this weekend. Oh, my God. You're a weirdo. Um, <laughs> Stalker! 
Tucker. I'm going to AwesomeCon in DC. Woohoo! Um, very excited to cover AwesomeCon again. Um, there's some amazing people who will be with us at AwesomeCon. I'm going to try my best to see if these guys have some time to chit chat with the diner. Uh, maybe get some time with them. Grant Imahara, who I cruised with a lot, two years ago on the Joko cruise, will be there. Um, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking. I'm really doing Marsters. a great job. James, James Marsters. James Marsters. Uh, hubba. Um, <laughs> Said George Takei also. George Takei will be there. Um, Alex Kingston and Arthur Darvel uh, from Doctor Who. Uh, um, oh, who's the captain guy from Star Trek? Uh, you know, Shatner. <laughs> yeah. So Shatner will be there. Um, Shat's back. Shatner. Rob Paulson, who I adore. Wait, Shatner um, and George Takei at the same place? I know, be, right? Gonna be like, they're going to they're gonna do like, they're going to put out a ring. And put one in each corner and just let them go at it. <laughs> so the con takes up two buildings of the um, Washington Convention Center. So I suspect all the Takei fans will be on one side and all the Shatners will be on the other. Uh, that may, <laughs> they may do, who knows? But like Jim Cumming, who is Darkwing Duck, which, you know, if you're older than 20, you know who that is. If you're younger than oh, 20, ask Darkwing your parents. Definitely ask your parents about that. Some great comic book people will be there. I'm going to try my best to chit-chat with as many as possible. Um, and basically just see what other new nerd swag I don't own yet. Wow. Very awesome. Well, that sounds sounds like it's going to be a good time. It is. It'll be – it was great last year. This year it's twice as big. Oh, yeah. John Reese davies will be there as well. Oh, cool. Now, he's someone I would love to sit down and chat with. I, I would love to, too. I am hoping to reach out to his agent, and if he's not available for a chat, then, um, which I doubt he will at the con, uh, to see if, if we can't get on the radar to maybe do a phone interview with him, if possible. That would be possible. awesome. That would be awesome. Because sliders, oh, like, sliders would not be the same without him. Oh, God, no. <laughs> um, what's, Go oh, so all the teens... From the cartoon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not that movie that really creeped me out, but all of them, will, all four of them will be there. So I need to find my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing that I got in my loot crate to get them all to sign it. Oh, well, that's cool. That sounds it's like It's super awesome. neat. Like so awesome. if, you're, if you're going, and I posted it on the Facebook page, if you're going, let me know. Just ping the page or ping me on, uh, on the Twitters, um, and maybe we could have a meetup. That would be awesome. You know, speaking about the Facebook, awesome. speaking about the, about, the, about the Facebook, we made I made Lee Kemp a uh, moderator. Mm -hmm. He's like posting stories yes. left and right. Oh yeah, he's found lots he's, of good stuff. Oh he's yeah, great. He's great. He's on top. The moment it comes out, like he's there. So, he's he's scooping me on stuff, and I'm unemployed. So nah, you know, yeah. so you have to duke this out, Lee, with M. No, he, no. He's like he's like every time I think, oh, let me put this on the page, and then. I look and I'm like, oh, well, crap. He's already put it up there. <laughs> well, fine. I'll just be the cute one then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lee, we love you. Thank you so much for uh, being willing to be a moderator on the uh, awesome on the Diner page. He was working on a post on the whole controversial Game of Thrones um, scene from last week. The whole, oh, uh, yeah. The whole, they ended the episode with a rape scene and that got a lot of controversy. He was working on a post... That, but he had a surgery, he had an arm surgery, so I'm not sure. Hmm. You might be able to get your 
the edge in them with the, you know him being on a uh, little bit of a break here. But um, but yeah, so he was working on a blog post on it, but that really it was, apparently was really disturbing. Did you watch? Do you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, I, I am. Um, not to sound jaded, but I mean, yeah, it was not pleasant to watch, but they've done worse. I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is Game of Thrones we're talking about, right? I yeah. Mean, there's been violence, gore, incest. I mean, mm-hmm. are we really surprised? Yeah, I was, you know, like I said, not thrilled, but at the same time, like, this is Game of Thrones. What what, what, what did we expect? Well, you know, I, I think the other thing is, uh, I think people look at that and say, well, here we are, there's, there's this whole thing going around us being like a rape culture. You know what I mean? Have you heard the term before? Yeah, I think I have, yeah. Yeah, and you know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm, I've never heard that before. You haven't? That somehow there's, that rape seems to be much more prevalent in this day. And there's this, I just heard the term, I don't know where I read it, but this idea, and I think some people were kind of offended by it. But I heard, I didn't hear him, but I read something that George R. R. Martin wrote. He said, look, when you go into war, war is brutal, and these things happen in war. And he said, it's not that they're good. But he says, I'm trying to show that the biggest evil we have to fear is not from dragons, orcs, or dark lords, but it's from it's from humanity itself. Yeah, and the character Ramsey Bolton has already proved that he's a major league a hole. Yeah, he's only, definitely an a hole. Um, he's he's twi- in the book. He's just the thing is, is in the book it's worse. Oh, I like, know. It's I know. different. It's so there's different stuff going on because they've already veered away from the books a bunch. But just, I mean, it, it. I don't know. I, being a woman, as I have been told, I should be offended by it. But I am aware that it is not. It is a piece of fiction, and it is part of the culture that has been built into this fiction. It is by no means glorified or glamorized. It's clear that it's vile and disgusting. And then in the next episode. You know, there's more in there's she's she's got to she's going to find her way through. And the bastard of Bolton is he's nuts. He is absolutely nuts. So it's like I'm not offended. I am. I have fast when I rewatch the episode, I fast forward through that part because it makes me very uncomfortable. But there's also the scene of uh, Cersei and Jamie at when uh, Joffrey died right there at the foot of his of his of his of his casket he just takes her right. he just throws her down and takes her that's pretty gross so <laughs> it is pretty gross he did he did it in the book but i don't i don't think it's being glamorized and i think that's what people are afraid of that it's becoming much more glamorized i think it's we're comfortable maybe becoming too comfortable seeing it in television and movies but it's made us much more aware of all of it. I have been lucky enough not to have been in that situation, but I know women who have, and it triggers horrible, horrible memories. It, it's 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 just based on the individual. But this is part. I, I I'm not defending it, and I'm not I'm not judging it. It's just I, it's part. I read the book. I, I know what I'm getting into when I'm getting into Game of Thrones. I know what to expect. So, and I suspect I think it's, 
that uh, you know Ramsey Bolton will get a horrible comeuppance. I mean, I, I haven't read the books. I don't know, so I'm not spoiling anything. I just think, you know, event eventually, eventually he'll get his. Oh, you have read the books? I have not. I have not. So I, okay. I yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> so I, 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 have not, I have nothing to spoil because I haven't, I have not read ahead. I'm midway through book four and, and it's just hmm. killing me. Uh, book four is hard to get through. But, you know, just, uh, just one more thing on this. You know, I think the fear that some people have is that we're sitting down on a Sunday night to watch this as entertainment. So I think that's probably one side that people kind of look at and say, well, should we be watching something like this as entertainment? And maybe that's just the different intent and purpose of what George R. R. Martin's trying to do in his books that kind of is miscommunicated when we watch something in television. I don't know. Mm. Um, so, um, and the other thing, the other side is, you know, if we see a lot of this, do we in the process become desensitized to it? And maybe that's a, another issue that I'm not, again, not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, you know, the more we see violence in television, the less that violence impacts us. And so it's the same with rape. Then we say, well, someone got raped and it's kind of, becomes less of a big deal, even though it's a terrible and awful thing. Mm. I mean, I don't know. It's sort of something that we could ponder and probably do an entire podcast on in a moment, but at least not now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyways, how did we get in Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. That's, that's my fault. Hmm. Sorry about that. Uh, that's all right. So, uh, so Game of Thrones. So, what else are you guys watching on television? I mean, uh, we got a Game of Thrones here that we're wa- that you guys are watching. I'm not. But. I just finished watching uh, Daredevil. Uh, I thought that was just fantastic. <gasps> did you love it? I, I did. I must. I I I, I loved. It. I thought uh, just tremendous writing. Uh, I think. I love everybody in the show. I think I'm not familiar with the actor who plays um, um, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, um, but I but I like him. He's good. Uh, Vince D'Onofrio as the Kingpin. Um, uh. He he's awesome. He's just um, uh, I, I love what what he's doing with the character. He he's making this guy a very vulnerable and fragile person, and that's what makes him so dangerous because you, you, you do something to upset him and uh, he comes out you with guns blazing. He's just, uh, there's no mercy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Wow. Now I've heard some discussion about the uh, flash finale that people were kind of ambiguous about it. You guys watch flash. Tell me about the, uh, uh, you know, M miles here. Tell me about the finale here. How did that play out for you guys? Hmm. I enjoyed it, but I mean, and I'm, I guess we'll take it. It's okay if we just spoil. I mean, yeah, we're just going to alert you right it was now. Last that, week, yeah. So it was last yeah. week. Give them a week. So if you haven't watched it, you may want to skip ahead about a couple of minutes here as we talk about Flash. It, it, it was interesting that um, uh, I, I forget the character's name. His last name is, is, is Thrawn, but his uh, that but his. his uh, Descendant, the Reverse Flash is uh, is I don't know if I'm saying the Eamart Thrawn also, and so what happens at the end is the 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 guy who is um, he commits suicide, and that by by doing that he basically erases the Reverse Flash's existence, 
Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. It was interesting, but um, that's what they did at the end. Um, well, you, so you watch it, right? Well, what did you think? I, of it? I did. So you know, the big thing about you know that the he's the cop guy whose name escapes me, which is funny because he's the guy who nobody really counted on. He is the he's there by coincidence. You know, and he just happens to be Yellow Flash Flash's um, uh, great 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 grandfather. How how crazy is that? And you know, they're they get this giant plan together, and they want to help Flash, and they want to save the world, and nothing works out, and nothing works out. And this dude, he you know, he realizes, you know what, I I I can do something. I can make a difference, and. I wouldn't call it suicide. I would call it like throwing yourself on the on the on the grenade. Like I don't think it was like you know, I'm going to kill myself because I don't want to exist. It's more like I am going to jump on this grenade and save everyone around me. I think that I I want to I I perceived that that was his um his yeah. motive. When I when I said suicide, I mean he he did put the point the gun at his chest, but at the same time yeah. his motives were he wasn't trying to off himself. His motives were to try to make a positive difference. Exactly, and it was um it was I mean he he jumped on the grenade all right. Mm-hmm. Um, it was amazing. I I'd like I need to sit down and do a second viewing, but it was a it was a delicious season finale as opposed to arrows, which was just crazy weird. All right, so since you brought up Arrow, tell me about the Arrow finale. It's just weird. I don't, with the whole, and becoming, you know, the new Ra's al Ghul. So you will marry my bride, and then upon killing everyone in your city, you shall become and arise the new Ra's al Ghul of the third, of this twelfth of his name, whatever. I just... I don't I don't really understand. I'm so sick of Black Canary and her dad... Every friggin' episode, the two of them are complaining about the sister's death, and you should have told me. Well, you should have done this, and well, yeah, blah, blah. Are you drinking? When have you been to a meeting? Blah, blah, blah. Like the two of them bicker so much. I kind of wish Roz would only have to kill them to kind of <laughs> save the city. They're driving me nuts. So it's just very confusing. I'm. I don't know, Miles. You're you're much more into the lore than I am. Well, what left me questioning was. Uh, so Ollie's hanging it up. I mean, he, he and um, Felicity just get in a sports car and head out to California. It was yeah. just, it was just like, and uh, the leaving. I mean, I, I mean, I assume that it, it, it's been renewed for another season. But he says he's hanging it up. So I'm not sure what they're going to do to bring him back. That was just. That was just kind of weird. I mean, him just, you know, he and Felicity just riding off to the sunset. I agree. Yeah. Very well. I guess we'll find out how what that how that all entails. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and all of this leads into the summer and the Suicide Squad, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the. Uh, do we know anything about the Suicide Squad coming in? That's television, right? What is that CW? It's a CW, and it's using some of the secondary characters from. Um, Arrow and Flash in that um, and one of those characters will be uh, this has already been mentioned so I'm not spoiling anything um, I, I don't the original Black Canary she'll be back even though 
you know, she took three arrows to the uh, uh, to the I chest. I know, right? Mm-hmm. They cloned her. No, they're using the uh, Lazarus uh, the Lazarus pit. The Lazarus pit. Yeah. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool because like there's Harley Quinn and I love Harley good Quinn. joke. Oh my god, she's just the best. I mm-hmm. love her to bits. I I can't remember which cartoon it was, but it just it would crack me up every time she would giggle, go, "Oh, Mr. J," and that just <laughs> it just it, it, I loved that, and I knew she was crazy. Um, so Suicide Squad action 2016. I'm wrong. Secret Agent, blah blah blah. Apparently, there is Ben Ben Affleck is Batman will be making an appearance. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. What I'm still. I, I don't like Ben Affleck as an actor in general in in this genre at all. Well, De- Daredevil kind of ruined that for him, so. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to keep my mouth shut until Batman versus Superman comes out, but it's just, it's very hard for me to see him in this role. Um, but everybody else who's going to be in this looks amazing. Okay. Well, uh, do you want to quickly talk about the Agents finale? Or... Awesome. That was good, too. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It was like a movie. It was awesome. <laughs> it was two hours long, so yeah, it was like a movie. It was a movie. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, anything else? Any other shows, uh, things that you're watching that you want to mention? Uh, maybe just a shore leave update. We got some... Up about a month ago, we got more more names added to the guest list. If you're a fan of Defiance, um, basically it'll be Defiance Heaven this year. <gasps> oh yes! So um, I'm excited about that. I, I watched Defiance, and basically, uh, Detectar and family is going to be there. Um, yep. Jamie Jamie Murray, uh, also known for her H.G. Wells role in uh, Warehouse 13, uh, Tony Curran, and, and Jesse Rath. Uh, but also, if you're a Battlestar Galactica fan. Um, and I don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, Rika Sharma. Okay, uh, she's she was the latest guest, so they they got a pretty good guest list uh, this year. I mean, they always do, but this is. Um, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Uh, John Barrowman, hello. Yep. <laughs> you would be a miss, Miles, if you didn't mention John Barrowman. He's adorable and really just you know, it's Captain Jack. I know. And Malcolm Merlin. Speaking of Arrow. Yeah, definitely. Well, in my sci-fi world, it's been mostly literature. I am actually watching Clone Wars, the animated series, uh, with my son. We're up to season three, and I hear that in season three is where the series really begins to take off. So I'm looking forward to continuing that journey with them <laughs> as we work our way through. Cool. That's, that's probably the, about the biggest TV I've been watching. Um, I did finish. I read since our last podcast and finished Austin C. Clarke's Childhood's End, which is being made into a mini-series in December by the Siffy Channel. And uh, it's absolutely, it's one of these books where I finished and I wrote on Facebook, I said, this was the most beautifully haunting ending I ever read. Hmm. It, was, it was just incredible. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, just, it ends... Uh, it's just it's just incredible. I don't want to it's an old book, so I'm not really spoiling anything, but the way it ends with there's this one man that's existing on Earth and then the alien race that kind of fostered in humanity's next evolution is kind of sad because he can't go there. 
It's just it's incredible writing by Arthur C. Clarke. So if you've never read it, you really got to pick it up. Definitely before the miniseries, because the miniseries always has the potential to blow it. Although we are hoping for the best, because Siffy can do can do some sci-fi right. So hopefully they get this right. Um, the other one that I'm reading is I'm currently smack dab in the middle of Ready Player One. Absolutely <gasps> adoring and loving it. If you grew up 70s and 80s, if you grew up in that time period, there's like they're throwing you bones all over the place as far as the different tech they're talking about, the different games, the music. I mean, everything geek culture, come on, is like heaven. And so I feel like I'm in heaven. But the storyline is also pretty intense. And if you played any massively multiplayer games, this is really an awesome, awesome book. Wouldn't you say, Em? I, I loved this book I, I listened to it uh, a year ago. It, Will Wheaton reads it, which makes it even cooler because there's a Will Wheaton reference in the I book, know. which he's even said, like, cracked him up. Um, Ernie Klein is an amazing writer. He has another book called Armada coming out uh, in another month, month and a half. Um, but he was the dude who also wrote the movie Fanboys. Um, yes. Awesome. Well, my understanding is Ready Player One is also being moved, made into a movie. So we'll yes, see a movie form coming up. So um, definitely, if you want to go see the movie, I'd recommend the book. The book is absolutely awesome. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm about six hours from the end, and it's just incredible. I'm breezing through it. I'll be done with it in a week. So I just absolutely can't stop listening to it. So that's, so that's what's going on in my sci-fi world. Cool. So You know, we really haven't gotten to the main show yet. Maybe we. Ought I know, to. but we haven't talked to Miles about his sci-fi world. Well, we did. Well, we did a little bit. I mean, do you have more to add to your sci-fi world? Um, I just purchased the last, uh, the, the newest Dayton Ward Star Trek novel, Armageddon's Arrow. I'm looking forward to reading that. Oh, good. Uh, awesome. he, he never disappoints. No, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. We need. We need. We need to get him back in the podcast. Well, he. Well, we'll be seeing him in, in a few short months. Yeah, he'll be a shortly. Yep. So. Awesome. Yeah, well, Emma, let's get into the show here. And uh, you came up with, or you were contacted by, uh, well, tell us a little no. bit about this fan project. So I was on the Twitters, and um, a friend of mine retweeted something about, uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, basically, it was about get this T-shirt that says Squee Fangirl Project. And so I clicked on the link. And it was the I may I tweeted back and said, well, this particular brand of shirt doesn't work for me. Can I just give you money? And um, Hansi Oppenheimer said, of course, and sent me to a GoFundMe page. And it turns out that this is all part of um, Hansi Oppenheimer is a director uh, of a really cool documentary called Squee, the Fangirl Documentary Project. And it's basically an overview of fangirls. And it's a documentary that explores the truth in interviews with smart and funny creative women that proudly identify themselves as fangirls. Um, which is, that's exactly how I feel about myself. I'm a giant nerd fangirl about things. Um, especially if you've listened to the episode where we interview Craig Ferguson. And I make <laughs> yes. a total doofus of myself. Um, but there's more to it. So we've, we're have we really lucky. Uh, we are I pinged and made a couple of little jokes and then I pinged her and let her know, hey, I'd love to sit and chat with you. I'd love to pimp your pimp the whole movie on um, on the show. So we're going to get Hansi and I are going to get together offline. Um, but there there's a Tumblr page link that we're going to 
post for you guys. I think I already posted a little bit about it. There's a trailer that she's already put together about it. Um, it's just a neat project, and I've not seen this before. And because it's, you know, about fangirls by a fangirl and going to these cons, and there's such controversy about, you know, women in sci-fi and gaming. It's just stupid. It's just, We're just a different... We have two X chromosomes and, like, the same thing as the XY chromosome dudes. So I'm going to get more detail about it, but Squee, the fangirl project, is is a must-click. Um, I've posted some some stuff about it on our fan, on our Facebook page, um, and I've been tweeting about it as well, but I'm going to continue talking about it because I love this idea. You know, I think the thing that the other thing that, about this project is, that's kind of cool is it explores not only, like, you know, things that you geek out to, but the fact that girls, it seems like in uh, the way, you know, in some cases feel like they have to hide being a fangirl. And like there's somehow... Or you have to adjust how you're a fan. Right. Or you have to prove that you're a fan, which is just... And I know we're a G-rated show, but that's just bullshit. <laughs> that drives me nuts. Just because I show up in a dress and heels to a con doesn't mean I'm any less of a fan as the girl who shows up as Sailor Moon. It just means that we're really excited about a thing and we want to share that thing. It's just I we all choose to share that thing differently. And I don't understand why it's 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 just become such a drama that girls have entered. I don't know if it's because it was typically a male dominated kind of world, sci-fi, gaming, nerdness. I don't get it. I think we we've all been in the as as nerds as geeks we've all been picked on by people who don't understand us we should be respecting and understanding each other so it's just really neat that this there i've seen like several different fan documentaries and they're very focused on the males or a specific genre this is about the girls who dig it too it doesn't matter that, you know a different chromosome set no, we just, it, and girls who are out there, don't hold it back. Be the geek you want to be. Open that door and just be. And if people don't dig it, we'll move on because the next person's probably going to be cool with it. And you've made a new friend. Nope. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Just now, just now. No, it's, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny because I wonder if, if you'd been in fandom in the 70s, whether women would have been as ostracized in the fan community because it was so niche. And now there's become, in a sense, mainstream. There's a sense where, I don't know. That's, that's just it. It's it's so much more commercialized. It's so much broader now. And and I don't I don't really know the history of cosplay, but it's just ballooned over the last 10 years. And 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 as the internet's gotten broader and YouTube has gotten reached more people and you know comic books are now mainstream and it it just it, it all kind of leads into that but i don't know i don't i don't i don't think anybody was i'm sure people were dressing up in, back in the 70s but I, I it it in the last 10 years there's been this plume of 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 nerddom it just went from 0 to 1000 in like a second right cool. nerd <laughs> it's just it's just funny because this kind of leads into your into your into the article that you're about to chat about miles you want to share with us the article we had news today that 
Well, concerning one of our, one of our favorite online stores, and we don't often talk about retail stores in the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, but this for nerds, this is the, the go-to store typically. And if I get a, a present that was bought at this place, I'm, I'm a very happy man. So tell, yeah. tell us about ThinkGeek. So we found out uh, some ThinkGeek news. Uh, Timmy the ThinkGeek monkey isn't sad, not one bit. He's just trying to fit in with his new friends. They got, shall we say, a darker taste in fashion. They shared his love of Star Wars, uh, Doctor Who, and Minecraft. So why not reciprocate? Oh, and the $122 million in cash didn't hurt either. Today, Hot Topic decided to buy ThinkGeek for $122 million. Not a huge surprise, arguably, that they're the top two companies that sell clothing and accessories that celebrate popular subculture, for lack of a better word. It's not clear what will happen now. Maybe we'll get this ThinkGeek retail stores. Maybe the ThinkGeek brand will replace the dated 90s Hot Topic brand. Or maybe Hot Topic will assimilate its online competitor. Maybe Hot Topic just wants uh, ThinkGeek unicorn meat and other custom-made exclusive uh, merchandise. Could be. Can't say it. Personally, I hope the outcome is one where uh, ThinkGeek thrives and Hot Topic gets more fun and relevant in the process. So, uh, yeah, this seems to be good for ThinkGeek, right? I think it's good for Hot Topic. Is it, now, let me ask you, has Hot Topic been struggling? I mean, I don't know. Hot Topic hasn't been struggling, but Hot Topic has a... I don't, have you been in a Hot Topic? It's been a long time since I've been in a yeah. Hot Topic. Yeah. Do you, do nice. you remember Spencer's from when we were kids? Oh, yeah, I remember Spencer. Spencer's was awesome. So Hot Topic and ThinkGeek have similar yet different demographics. So it'll be a really cool way to get the two of them together. I think it'll make Hot Topic look less like a place for tweens to go get vampire crap. Um, I think it'll be a place where nerds can go and get the stuff that they want super quick. I think it the shared licenses between Hot Topic and ThinkGeek will be amazeballs. I think that's awesome. There's there's nothing but pluses here. I don't think neither one of them was in a in a desperate position to f- like they're you know one needed to save the other. I think this is a great partnership. Um, and if the I think the hot topic is going to leave Think Geek as it is to continue to be its own entity because it bought GeekNet, the company that owns Think Geek. Um, uh, I I just think they're going to help each other out in a really great way, and that's that's kind of exciting. But if I see any Twilight crap on thinkgeek.com, I'm going to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll start selling sparkly cool. Well, thinkgeek will start selling guyliner. <laughs> <My last year>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, so we think this is a good thing then. So it's positive. Maybe we'll have some thinkgeek stores popping up. That'd be great too. I mean, it'll be I mean, nothing wrong with ordering online, but if it's in your local mall, I mean, it just easier to get to. And that, that, Plus you can kind of play with the stuff before you get it. That's true. Uh, but it, I, it, it could possibly bring more customers for ThinkGeek if it's yeah, added off to the mall. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe people that don't classify themselves as nerds to actively go seeking for it online or find it in the malls. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's possible. Yeah. Well, let's move into our first promo tonight. The only promo we're playing tonight, this is a promo from the Jock Nerd Podcast. Talk about a combination. So what you do is you get someone that considers themselves a jock, avid sports fanatic, and you put you you put it together with a nerd, and let's do a podcast. It's kind of interesting. It's, it, it is an interesting concept. Yeah, so if you want to find out more about it, make sure you check out their podcast. Here's the promo. 
Hey, are you a jock that likes comics? Are you a nerd that likes comics? Do you feel left out sometimes? Well, then we've got the show for you. I'm Imran. And I'm Anthony. He's the jock. And he's the nerd. And we host the Jock and Nerd podcast at jockandnerd.com. If you're looking for fun, entertaining, laugh-out-loud geek chat over all the latest Marvel DC shows and news, visit jockandnerd.com. Full spoiler podcast, lots of swearing. Uh, You're such a jock. You're such a nerd. Oh, come on. Shut up, nerd. Okay. All right, let's talk about Simon Pegg. So you guys like Simon Pegg? Wow, no segue, just right to it. Yeah, let's go right to it. Let's talk about Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Um, you know, I love Simon Pegg and Paul. I love Paul. Paul's one of my favorite movies. Paul's a great movie. Paul's a great movie. And then, of course, our favorite Scotty in uh, the latest Star Trek movies. Yeah. I wouldn't call my favorite Scotty, but he did, he did a good Scotty. Well, he's my favorite Scotty in the latest Star Trek movies. Okay. Did you miss the latest part, Miles? I'm just saying. Well, there's only one Scotty in the latest, so yes, I don't know. What, uh, yeah, what really, only about? two Scotties. That's right. So Miles just poked a hole through your whole theory there. Yeah, Way yeah, to go, whatever. Miles. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, so he came out. I guess he's writing the Star Trek Three. Is that correct? That, that is correct. And that's kind of interesting to me because I never really viewed him. I mean, I know he's done his own films, but he kind of in his own brand of humor and stuff. So I never really pegged him as being like a big blockbuster writer. So it's kind of cool that he's doing that. I, I think Star Trek, yeah, as far as the, the it needs a new writing writing team. So, um, and, and and he loves the franchise, and so I'm cautiously optimistic he'll come up with something good. Yeah, good, mm-hmm. good. So, anyways, he made news when Io Nine ran a segment of an interview that he did, and in in essence, it was this nerd culture. This is according to him. Nerd culture is a product of late capitalistic conspiracy designed to infantilize the consumer as a means of non-aggressive control. Sink your teeth into that for a while. So what he's saying is that we are commercializing on geek culture in order to keep, keep us in an infantile state that we don't care about anything else. They're basically keeping us as children. So at face value, that's what it is. So this is actually, the article I'm reading from is from the blog, his blog, which he kind of responds to this a little bit because it blew up and they said, well, maybe I should like clarify what I was saying. And that's kind of... Or do damage control. Yeah, damage control. Um, But here, let me just read the premise and then let's comment. Let's open up the comment a little bit. He says, the children of the... I'm just excerpting it. So if you want to read the whole thing, go to Simon Pegg's blog. It's all there. Um, and the blog post is called Big Mouth Strikes Again. Um, the children of the 70s and 80s were the first generation for whom it wasn't imperative to grow up immediately after leaving school. Why this happens is a whole other sociological discussion. The rise in student population, the progress in gender equality, the absence of world war, all these things and more contributed to the social evolution, right? And he talked about a movie which him and this girl Jess wrote. Um, and he, uh, I guess it was called Space, and he goes on to say, show. what was that? It's a, it's an amazing TV show. Oh, TV show, sorry, Space. Um, this extended adolescence has been cannily co-opted by market forces who've identified this relatively new de- demographic as an incredibly lucrative wellspring of consumerist potential 
Suddenly, here was an entire generation crying out for an evolved version of the things they were consuming as children. He goes on to say, recent developments in popular culture were arguably predicted by the French philosopher and cultural theorist Jean, how do we say this? Um, help me again. Um, Baudrillard. 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 By Jean Baudrillard in his book America, in which he talks about the infantilization of society. Put simply, this is the idea that the society, that as a society, we are kept in a state of arrested development by dominant forces in order to keep us more pliant. We are made passionate about things that occupied us as children as a means of drawing our attention away from the things we really should be invested in. Inequality, corruption, economic injustice, etc. It makes sense that when faced with the awfulness of the world, the harsh realities that surround us, our instinct is to seek comfort. And where else would the majority of us most com be more comfortable in than in our youth? A time when we were shielded from the painful truths of our re recreational passions, the toys we played with, the games we played, the comments we read. There is probably more discussion on Twitter about The Force Awakens and the Batman vs. Superman trailers than there was about the, the, the Nepalese earthquake or the British general election. One more, couple more things. He says, I did not mean that science fiction and our fantasy are dumb. Far from it. How could I say that? In the words of Han Solo, hey, it's me. Um, the, he, when he goes on to clarify what he meant by that statement. The more, the more spectacle becomes the driving creative priority, the less thoughtful or challenging the films can become. The spectacle of Mad Max is underpinned not only uh, not only multiple layers of plot and character, but also by almost a lost cinematic sense of how do they do that? The best thing art can do is make you think, is to make you think, make you reevaluate the opinions you thought were yours. It's interesting to see how a cerebral filmmaker like Christopher Nolan took Batman and made it something more adult, more challenging, chasing Frank Miller's peerless dark night into a slightly less murky world of questionable morality and violence. But even these films are ultimately driven by the market forces, and somebody somewhere will want to soften the edges so that the toys and lunchboxes can be sold. In that respect, Bruce Wayne's fan, uh, uh, fascistic vigilantes Vigilantism, I'm totally mispronouncing it, was never really held into account. However interesting, Nolan doubtless found the idea. So that's, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, he's really talking about um, the fact that are we being kept in this state and being distracted from what's really real? And maybe, well, what, what, what he's saying, I'm not necessarily agreeing with him that there's other more important things in the world going on, but we we seem too obsessed with this stuff. That's what that's what I, I that's what I think he 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 appears to be saying. So I I get where he's coming from. It and uh like not that we all need to show our nerd cred before we um before we do anything. He he. Funny enough, I just downloaded from Audible his book his book Nerd Do Well: A Small Boy's Journey to Becoming a Big Kid. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to start listening to it, but, um, if you've seen the TV show spaced, that show is just laced with every kind of nerd sci-fi reference you can imagine, which is awesome. Um, 
and 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 I, I get where he's coming from. You can see that that nerdism, nerdness, it's everywhere. It's freaking everywhere. His point of view is interesting. I don't know if I subscribe to it completely, but I, I kind of get where he's coming from. His his point of view for nerdness is very pure. He's you know he's my age. We come from a whole different world where you know we had we didn't have the internet. We didn't have social media and all of that. Just, just again, it's the nerd plume. It just like a giant atomic nerd bomb just went off into society and it's everywhere. I think his concern as I read it is that his concern is not that we have a nerd culture. His, right. his concern seems to be those that in a sense deify the nerd culture above things that are really important. Um, such as you know helping out in the earthquake or other social issues that are that are essential. Um, I remember my wife had this really in-depth discussion from Aaron, with Aaron Rosenberg at Farpoint this past year uh, about that that the many convention goers you know you know kind of live just for the convention and kind of you know this is this is their life and that somehow there's something mm. that is. Maybe a bit skewed about that. Not the I mean, we, we love conventions because somehow it allows us to nerd out, and that's cool. But if it, if this becomes the end all be all, I think we're kind of um, we're selling it short. Maybe a little bit. Well, I that I agree with. That there, you can say that about sports. Oh, you can absolutely. say that about politics. Absolutely. You can definitely say that about religion. <laughs> it's but I understand I it because of its popularity, you know, there are people who are capitalizing on that and using it. And they do they I could see them using it as a tool to to manipulate to spin to spin doctor things and to oh horrible things are happening but look at thor you know people want an escape from the horrible things happening in real world and they go to this fantasy place and people are capitalizing on that i'm not gonna apologize for liking what i like um, yeah I and i'm not going you know and Spending money on it. I mean, I don't. I don't spend all my money on it, um, but um, it's something I enjoy. It's something. It doesn't. It's not. Some. Of it, some of it's just entertainment value, but some of it. Some of it makes me think, and hopefully challenges me. Um, well, I think this is where Simon Pegg's concern is. It's not that we don't enjoy it. He's, his concern is that. That we somehow have cheapened science fiction if all we're doing is creating or spinning it just to give us a quick escape. But if it mm. is making us do that, where it does make us think, we're walking away and our beliefs about society are challenged, our perspectives about who we are and our place in the universe is challenged. Like that's really that's when science fiction, in my opinion, really thrives. And I enjoy an escapist movie, don't get me wrong. But if, it's, mm. if people are just escaping and it's not having an impact on them or it's not, doesn't have something that makes us question about the direction we're going as society or something like that, mm-hmm. then I think, this, I think this is where he finds it, where science fiction for him becomes dumb. When, and dumb in a way that it's 
loses it, it, it simplified. Loses, yeah, simplified loses its impact. Well, then what should For the happen? The least common denominator. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, what what should I mean? He should challenge those that are making sci-fi, Hollywood authors, whoever, say you know, okay, you've given us some great entertainment now. Where sci-fi is at its best is where it makes us think, where it um, raises, tells stories, but also deals with a social issue or um, tries to encourage humanity to be better than it is. Um, Do that then. Yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah, I think it's I think his concern is this: that Hollywood is capitalizing on big blockbuster films that really, in the end, haven't done a lot to challenge us, change us. And, um, well, I want to say, I mean, in a few months, we're going to a sci-fi convention, and we're in, and, and there's going to be entertainment value. But what also is going to go on at this at this particular sci-fi convention, and I would venture to say at other sci-fi conventions. They're going to be doing things for charity. They're going to raise money for charity. They'll do charity auctions. Uh, this one does a charity auction. It does a blood drive. It, it's not just. I mean, we're we're, we're you know, it's not the, the the people that run this convention realizes it's an opportunity to pay it forward, and and many of us are going to take use as an opportunity to, to, to do so. So, you know, with all love and respect to Simon Pegg, you know. That some of that's that some of that's already happening. You just you, you got to look a little further. Yeah. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. Now. Yeah. Any other oh. thoughts on this? Em? So it's make believe. It's not. It's a. It's a world, and it is make believe, and it is a wonderful place to go and escape it is a wonderful place to go and let your brain play and create and encourage people but it is it is first and foremost make believe um so we should enjoy it we should respect it we should create it we should celebrate it but by we shouldn't be living it we should it doesn't you know, if you're lucky enough to pay the bills with that kind of a job, go for it. But you know, when when there's the when I step really far back, oh, you know, people who live too much in their cosplay, or you know, so and so plays three thousand hours of MMR uh, RPGs, you know, last year. Okay, that can be a little dangerous, but it is it is just it is a place for your pl- your brain to play and inspire. Look at all the crap. Look at iPads. That was, you know, sci-fi crap that nobody believed could actually happen. 90% of what's on my desk right now was in a, an idea that is was written in a book that everyone thought, oh, that's crazy. And now it exists. It is a playground for your brain. So please just remember, enjoy that opportunity to, to let your brain play, which is childlike, but it that imagination is inspiring. And what you do with that inspiration, that is what you, that that is the piece that's important. And just go with that. And I think maybe Simon is hoping that people don't live down there in the, I'm escaping to be five again, but to go, ooh, this happened. Oh my God, I do things with robots. I wonder if I could build that. And that leads to, you know, 
delivering to the greater good. And that's, that's, that is just amazing. And I'm, I'm never going to, I'm always going to encourage people to go and play in the sci-fi world and the nerd world because the stuff that has come out of it. I, I mean, I could, I, I want to hug my iPad right now. I, <laughs> I own every generation of iPod. <laughs> I, in the drawers next to me are probably seven different iPods of different generations and shapes and sizes. I, it's amazing. It's just the coolest thing. And I, I, I'm with Simon in that I worry that it gets, it might get taken too far, but I don't think it's a new thing to worry about that. Yeah. You know, just uh, I want to wrap this up by just talking. He, he ends the article by saying, hey, you know, it's good to ask why we like this stuff. What makes it so alluring, so disgust, so sacred? Do we channel our passion and indignation into uh, ephemera rather than reality? Not just science fiction and fantasy, but gossip, talent shows, nostalgia, and people's arses. <laughs> Is it right? Is it dangerous? And so he said something to discuss over dinner while you're playing chess. But I think this is what like, good science fiction makes you think and makes you discuss, makes you question and create like you're saying. Um, and I think this is what he's kind of hoping out of it. Mm. Uh, but he ends, he says, in short, I love science fiction and fantasy and do not think it's childish at all. <laughs> I do not think it's all generated by a dominant forces as a dire and direct means of control much. I'm still a nerd and proud. So, so that's I love his PS. The Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan are also Stormtrooper and Force Awakens. <laughs> yeah, I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw that. So, um, <laughs> oh man. Anyways, that was um, that was that, that was Simon Pegg. into chatting about a uh, totally different topic at all. Talking about Star Wars, we had a chance to interview, well, someone that's considered the godfather of the sequels. Well, I mean, if anything, he kept, in, in some sense, he kept the franchise going by his books. I mean, because there was no, no other Star Wars going, there was definitely no live action Star Wars going on. And, um, well, and, uh, and I think his was some of the first if I'm correct, some of the first um, expanded universe books that came out, the and they were approved by um, you know George Lucas. So that that was considered Star Trek canon, Star Wars canon at the yeah, time. And he wrote the original sequels to four, five, and six. Okay, right. I mean, the Hand yep. of Thrawn trilogy. Yep. Mm -hmm. This is what like when when JJ came on board and said we're going to make three movies. Everyone was like Hand of Thrawn, Hand of Thrawn, and then of course it didn't do it. But um, you know, he came up with this entire universe, Hand of Thrawn. Thrawn would have been a great villain. And, um, of course, they never followed it. But mm -hmm. he, you know, he wrote, a, he created this, in a sense, he could be credited in some ways as starting the expanded universe. Yeah, and keep help keep keeping, you know, people interested, giving Star Wars fans something to look forward to and enjoy until, um, you know, 
the powers that be decide we need to make live action in Star Wars again. So, Em, did you have you read Zod? I have not. Yeah. We had a chance to sit down with this guy mm-hmm. at Farpoint. You know, we had five, ten minutes with him, um, and we just got a chance to pick his brain a little bit about Star Wars. And, and just some of the things that they, you know, they use some of his material in the, as M is affectionately calls the, the fan films. But, uh, right, right. But he, mm-hmm. but some, but, but there's. Jar Jar Binks was not his creation, mind you. So we can't blame him, but uh, he did. Some of the good stuff they used, uh, they had. That they have him to thank for. Yeah, Coruscant was one of them. And you'll hear some of the other things mentioned in the interview that we do with Timothy Zahn. Mm-hmm. So, but we had a nice little chat with him. Absolutely. So, um, Well, I believe that's about it. Let's go ahead and share this interview. This is from Farpoint this past year, and we hope you enjoy the interview. sitting here at Farpoint with Timothy Zahn, who is heralded as being potentially one of the greatest Expanded Universe writers, at least some of us think so. Um, real quick question, thank you for, first of all, for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for, thank you for having me. And uh, how did you end up writing Star Wars? Let's start there. <laughs> Back in 1988, Lou Aronica, who was head of Bantam Spectre at the time, uh, wrote a letter to Lucasfilm suggesting that since Lucas didn't seem to be doing anything more with Star Wars, that Bantam would like to undertake a continuation of the saga, uh, three books picking up after Return of the Jedi, which was an era nobody had been allowed to write in before. They'd been in the prequel novels, uh, Han Solo and the Land of Calrissian, but nobody, no, no comic book or, or game person had been able to go past Jedi. Uh, about a year later, someone at Lucasfilm found this letter in an unanswered correspondence pile. At just about the same time, they were starting to discuss whether to restart the adult fiction line. So a little bit of uh, uh, serendipity, timing, everything. They got together, decided to go ahead and do this. Uh, Lucasfilm said, find us an author. The Bantam editors sat down, made up a short list of authors they thought could handle Star Wars. Uh, Lucasfilm decided they liked my style best of the ones they were offered, and I got this completely out of the blue, early November 1989 phone call from my agent with the understatement of the century, Tim, we have a very interesting offer. <laughs> so it was, I had, didn't go have to go knock on any doors, uh, you know, pitch anything, it was just sort of, here's, here's a silver platinum platter with the, this on it, would you like it? <laughs> So we discussed it for 45 minutes to an hour, and I told him I'd give him my answer the next day, and then I went off and panicked. <laughs> uh, because I'd, I'd never done a trilogy's worth of story before. I'd done the Cobra trilogy and, and such, but those were more or less just individual stories connected, but individual ones. I'd never done a 300,000-word story before. I wasn't absolutely sure I could handle that. Plus... It was a chance to fail spectacularly in front of you know, thousands to millions of, of readers who uh, would tell me I'd gotten it all wrong. <laughs> um, by the next day, I had enough of an idea that I thought, okay, I can, I can develop this into a 300,000-word th- you know, story, and I'd be crazy not to try it. 
So went ahead, and uh, the rest is sort of history. Right, right. Except for the fact that nobody knew whether Star Wars fandom was still out there. That point in 91, when the when Heir to the Empire came out, the fans were very quiet. Why? Because there was nothing for them to glom onto. Um, they printed up 70,000 copies of the first book, priced it really low to try to get people to buy it. Those That first printing was gone in about two weeks, and they were scrambling to make more printings. And they were scrambling to make more book deals between the two of uh, Lucasfilm and Bantam. I think they wound up with 12 or something, maybe 15 after that. So the Star Wars fans were definitely out there. And uh, if you look outside at the conventions, they're out there too. Right, right. Very true. Very true. Uh, having read and enjoyed what you've written in the Star Wars Expanded Universe, I know that some of the material was used to, ins- to inspire some of the creative decisions in the prequels. I recognize reading your books and then watching the prequels. Can you tell us uh, some of uh, what we can call your input from the novels, which was used in the prequel movies? Uh, the two things I, I spotted in the prequels were, first, the name Coruscant for the Imperial planet. It had always been uh, Imperial Center in the novelizations and such. Uh, I'd always assumed that that was something that the Empire had done. Also assumed a planet has its own name. You know, a capital doesn't start out usually as a capital. Um, uh, you know, Paris, London, they all have a history before they become the capital of that country. You know, Washington, D.C. and uh, Brasilia are two exceptions where they're deliberately built as a capital. But Coruscant, Imperial Center, would have a name or have, have some kind of uh, history. So um, since Lucas had already established as being a planet-wide city, I named it Coruscant, which means glittering. Uh, dictionary pronunciation is a little bit different, but the spelling of the word supports Coruscant as a, as a name. So that was one. The other one was the uh, catching of Force Lightning on a lightsaber blade that I had done in the Thrawn trilogy. Um, I, I also know, I think uh, one of the comics was the first to introduce the double-blade lightsaber that Darth Maul used. So Lucas was going into the expanded universe, which is fine because he owns all the stuff, and picking and choosing little bits, which, which I th- think is very cool. And I'm expecting to see some of that in the movies and spinoffs. I mean, the, Disney spent $4 billion for this stuff. They're going to mine, mine it for all the little gold nuggets they can find, as they should. here with our dessert. It's dessert time. Yay! Time for dessert. Time for dessert. And we have a Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and being that we were kind of busting on Simon Pegg, not really, we love Simon Pegg, um, this is... I adore you, Simon Pegg, more than any of them, because I watched Spaced and listened to all the commentaries, including <laughs> the one with Tarantino, which is the best. <laughs> awesome. So if you're listening, Simon Pegg... So, of course he is. Of course, he listens to everything. Absolutely. Anyways, so what's our sci-fi five and five? Well, since we we, we dogged on Simon Pegg a little bit, uh, maybe we need to build him back up and put him over. Um, there's there's a website called Ranked where they rank. I guess anybody can say what 
what's some of the rates. And so somebody had, there was a, a poll or whatever, what the, the top five Silent Peg movies were. And so this is the list that, that was given. Very good. Do you want to share the list? Sure. I mean, um, we can talk about it. Yeah, I, I've only seen one of these on this list. So hopefully you, uh, you've seen a couple more. Okay. Um, but I own uh, them all. Oh, wow. oh, okay. So M's a resident expert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so number five on this list is Run, Fat Boy, Run. What is this movie about, M? Oh, my God. It Basically, this dude and his life and how it's kind of sucking and he misses the woman that he loves and the just the mother of his child. There's a divorce and and the new boyfriend is, you know, so much bigger and better and played, I think, by um, uh, Sarah Fenovich, really funny actor, who is actually the voice of Darth Maul. Funny. Uh, Peter said. Sa- Peter Sarasenovich. Oh, I can't pronounce it, but he was in it. Say it five um, times real fast. Go. I dare you. No. It's just that. this cute story of an underdog who, you know, ends up doing really, really well. And it he, he gets suckered into running a marathon. <laughs> and that's why it's called Run, Fat Boy, Run. It's, it's really funny. It's very lighthearted. It's a romantic comedy of sorts. And it's very... Peter Sarafenovich. Ah, I got it. Um, (laughs) so it's very cute and if you're a big fan of like Simon Pegg uh, Edgar Wright um, and oh my god I forget the other guy you're gonna see in all of these movies in the list they have their it's kind of like the Whedon world where he's Joss Whedon has all of his favorites Simon Pegg has all of his favorites too that he loves working with cool All right. so number four number four was Paul and it's a movie I know I need to see because it it is uh... it was awesome that too. So great. Yeah. Uh, this is, it was definitely a good movie. It was mm-hmm. funny. Oh my God. Two British nerds going to Comic-Con right. and then going on a, a tour of the geekiness of the um, science fiction-y kind of landmarks of Western America and something happens. What? What? I'll have to wait and see. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg were friggin' amazing in this in this movie. They're fun. They're, you know what? Those guys are fun to watch work together. They're amazing. Yeah. All right. Uh, next. Next on the list is World's End. Okay. I I'm not familiar with this one. Em? So when Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and um, Edgar Wright started working together, they had always dreamed of writing like the trifecta of t of movies. They wanted to do a they wanted to do a zombie movie they wanted to do a buddy cop movie and they wanted to do a sci-fi movie um and you'll see a running trend called cornettos which cornettos which are ice creams that they they, that 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 they're fans of and and each flavor of cornetto is listed in each of those movies that they did um uh world's end being the third movie they did but the first one we're talking about um that's why they call it the Cornetto Trilogy. So these guys had always wanted to make this kind of sci-fi movie. So they got this buddy movie. All these guys get back together after they've been, you know, it's been a long time since college. And they're doing this pub tour um, of their old hometown and how they've changed. And it gets real serious and it gets really funny. And then something happens. Let me guess. <laughs> let me guess. The world's about to end. Yes, and there's a pub called World's End. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay, uh, number uh, two. 
I actually did see this movie and I enjoyed it. Shaun of the Dead. Um, this was one of the earlier zombie movies. I guess this was almost 10 years ago this, this came out, but it was a zombie comedy movie. Um, and he had, and what was it? His co-star's name, Mitch? Um, Nick, Nick Frost. Nick Frost. Um, they were both brilliant at it. And um, if you like zombie movies and if by chance you haven't seen this one, you need to see this one. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> <laughs> I was giggling just thinking about it. It's a great film. It's really bright. It's really funny and bizarre. Like, it's a totally different kind of zombie movie. And like Miles said, it's a zomcom. Yeah, and if... Uh, I'm not going to say what the, end of the ha- happen, what the ending was, but when I watched it with a good friend of mine, he, he, after seeing it, he said, if that happens to you, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going, you know, you know I'm going to put a bullet in your head. Um, if, if, if you've seen the end of this, you understand why. I mean, uh, uh, Sean is a loyal f- friend to his, even to the end, but uh, um, so wow. number, number one, Hot Fuzz. Uh, this I, I wanted to see this when it came out. I didn't get a chance to see it, so uh, I think it might be on Netflix now. I'm not sure. Netflix. It is on the Netflix. Yeah. It is certainly on the Netflix. So tell me about Hot Fuzz since I haven't watched this movie. I'm <laughs> so take every cliche from every buddy cop movie you have ever seen and put it in a quiet little town in England. <laughs> it is. So when they wanted to create their trifecta, uh, Shaun of the Dead was the first movie that they put together. So there's their zombie movie. This is the buddy cop movie. This movie is quintessentially just the most delicious. If you like buddy cop movies, and don't take them completely seriously and understand, you know, kind of the over the topness of them. This highlights it, frames it, it just kind of serves it on this beautiful platter of of jokes and and great great acting, just hilarious. I have the collector's addiction edition and have watched that. I've watched all three with all of the commentaries and everything. They're just they're a blast. They're an absolute blast. Well, and one thing that I do want to point out that if um, uh, if you have kids who are fans of Phineas and Ferb, uh, you will have heard um, you will have heard uh, Simon Pegg on that too. What is he? What role does he play in uh, Phineas and Ferb? So he was C three PO in one episode. He was some dude named Sean in their zombie episode, which was awesome. Um, uh, there was something else that I can't remember. Um, but I would, if you want to see like the the beginning of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, you want to see where all of that fun, juicy, crazy stuff comes from. I I would I would go out and I would see Spaced. I think it's only twelve. It's like two seasons of six or seven episodes. It's a must see. It's an absolute must see. There, once you see that, and then you watch all the rest of their stuff, you will go, "Oh, I get it!" And it's beautiful. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to. I might kick you up in the recommendations. So. You're gonna. Ha- I, I I can't recommend it enough. Awesome. Well, awesome. Well, I think that does it. That's so, a uh, pretty good show here. So and we, good we've, list. We've, Thanks for finding that, Miles. Oh, you know, we, we had to put him over after we kind of uh, yeah dogged him a little. Yeah, we didn't really dog him. We just kind of talked a little bit about what he was talking about. 
What were you going to say, Miles? That, that was it. Okay. Simon Pegg, we love you. We do not hate you here. We do not. I love you more than they do. Yeah, it's very <laughs> true, and uh, you can have Em's love. All right. <laughs> well, I believe that's about does it for episode uh, 250 is in the can. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Timothy Zahn and our discussion tonight. If you'd like to give any comments on that, post them in the Facebook, email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. And that will, uh, that'll get to us. We will, uh, we will do a feedback episode. We do have some feedback in the cube. We'll do that at another time. I believe awesome. about does it. All right. Till next time, good night and good luck. We will see ya. Do your dailies. O.M., I will do my dailies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.